Welcome to Workplace Community Connections. I'm your host, Charlotte Stevens. We are all part of different communities, families, friends, and professional groups. This podcast focuses on the communities of which we are a part in our professional lives, our workplaces, and our business communities. My guests will share their insights into strengthening workplaces, enhancing engagement and satisfaction, and building relationships to carry us all forward together. You will hear from human resource professionals and business and nonprofit leaders who strive every day to make our workplaces and our communities stronger, better, and more connected. So let's get started with today's guest. So today's guest is Patrick Tufts, who is the CEO of the Granite United Way. Patrick has been with Granite United Way for probably 14 years is my guess, but he will correct me if I'm wrong. Patrick is a real community leader in New Hampshire, not just a nonprofit leader. He's, he's completely engaged throughout the state and has overseen a lot of changes in Granite United Way. So I'm sure we'll be covering some of that today. As many of you probably know, the United Way is a nonprofit organization, which really has many, many touches throughout the communities that it serves. So welcome, Patrick. I'm glad to have you with me today. Yeah, it's great to be with you, Charlotte. Thanks for having me. Patrick, so you've been with Granite United Way how long? Was I close on the 14 years? Yeah, right around 15 out of my 22 years in United Way service have been here in New Hampshire. So can you tell us a little bit about your United Way service and how you came to be the CEO of Granite United Way? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, Charlotte. I don't think anybody in grade school says, I want to grow up and be a United Way CEO. I never thought I would be doing this. I actually started my career in law enforcement and then moved to Lawrence, Massachusetts after graduating college and worked in a psychiatric facility for children. And having done that, that organization was funded by the United Way. And I I would go out and speak on behalf of that program during the annual United Way campaign. And when I decided to go to grad school, there appeared a internship at the local United Way, which I did for a year and then never looked back and been with United Way for 22 years and various United Ways in various states and lots of different capacities. But Really privileged to have been the CEO here in New Hampshire for more than the last 15 years. So for those who who don't know, and I can't imagine that there are many people who don't, tell us a little bit about the origin and development of the United Way. How did it start in New Hampshire? So it started in actually in Denver, Colorado, over 140 years ago. And it's almost like a bad joke. I mean, what happens when a businessman, a priest, a rabbi, and a Rotary Club member walk into a saloon? Uh, What happened in Denver was they decided that they wanted to have a more comprehensive way of helping their community. Uh, There were lots of different organizations and faith groups emerging that were helping people, but it really was somewhat decentralized and not very organized. So the United Way movement started 140 years ago in Denver, and then it has really moved all over the world. But it's the basic premise of of working together, working in a united way to address some of our most local and pressing needs. Uh, United Way is not known as a service-providing organization. Uh, The majority of our work is to raise attention and funds and volunteer hours to support the many nonprofits that make up all of our communities and and are vital to our quality of life. 
So, so yeah, my first knowledge of New, New United Way, at least here in New Hampshire, was when I moved to the state in 1984, and I think it was Greater Manchester United Way mm-hmm. at the time. And my frame of reference was payroll deductions that you could you could make in your work small to modest contribution on a weekly basis. And then the United Way would see to it that some of the local nonprofits, of which I started to serve on some boards, would be able to apply for funding and, and get funding. Mm-hmm. A lot has changed since then. But it really has, Charlotte. I mean, we still do that. That is fundamental to who we are as an organization. I always like to think of us as a blue collar and working class philanthropy. I got introduced to United Way at 15 years old, stocking shelves at Star Market in Massachusetts. And at 15 years old, I was a philanthropist. My buck a week made me a philanthropist and got me engaged in my community. And I've never forgotten that. You don't have to be wealthy to support your community. You don't have to be wealthy to volunteer or give time and, and treasure at the local level. But, you know, over the last hundred years here in New Hampshire, we've really capitalized on being able to do that good local work, brought together a lot of the United Way organizations into something a little bit bigger in scale. And now we're able to really address some of the bigger issues that face our state. Um, you know, when I came here in 2006, there were 14 United Ways serving the state. Um, we've brought the majority of those United Ways together you know, really into a force for good that the state hasn't really seen before. We can take that blue-collar, working-class attitude and the relationships we've developed over the last hundred years and put them to work addressing some of our community's biggest issues, like lack of access to affordable childcare, addressing SUD and substance use issues, uh, affordable housing, public health. These are big issues that no one organization can address on their own. But we've been able to build up over 100 years worth of relationships and 100 years worth of making investments and honestly working with the for-profit and business sector and the nonprofit sector that's really allowed us to do some some pretty cool things in the last couple of years that I never thought we'd be doing. Yeah, and, and we're going to get to that because it, it it is really exciting. One of the things that I think is important about the United Way is that even though it's grown and a lot of these 14 organizations that were in place when you first came to the state are now all under one umbrella, but there's still a lot of local control and a local, a lot of local involvement, decision-making and where the funds go. Yeah. When we built out Granite United Way, it was really important to the United Ways that were coming together that we did not lose our connection to local communities. And we actually wrote that into the Articles of Incorporation for this new organization, that decision-making and representation would always inherently be local, and that we would be a ground-up, not a top-down decision-making organization. And I'm really proud of the fact that we have advisory committees for each of our seven regions that total between 85 and 100 volunteers every year that are really focused on their local community. The sum of the parts of those seven regions adds up to tremendous work at scale, but it's inherently local in nature. So individuals who contribute, for example, through payroll deduction or some other means, direct donations, um, if, if they are concerned about that, they can be sure that they are, their dollars stay local and that people in the local communities are making those decisions about where that money goes. 
Absolutely. A large percentage of our donors know where they want their money to go. They might have an agency or a few agencies that they favor, and they choose those organizations through the annual campaign, and we get that money to those organizations effectively and quickly for them to determine what the best use is. For other donors who might not have an affinity for a particular organization, we do default that to the region that that donor lives and works, and that money becomes available to that local advisory committee to determine what the best use is amongst organizations that are applying for support. So uh, how do organizations apply for funding for the United Way? Tell me a little bit about the the, the, the donation structure, the grant structure. Well, it's typically through a public RFP, and we'll issue an RFP generally annually, historically, but we are moving in 2024 to offer three RFPs a year because our organizations have told us that they have a lot of emergent needs, and it's really hard to project what an issue might be in a nonprofit six or 12 months from now. So our nonprofit partners asked us to be a little more dynamic so that they could come to us every three or four months with whatever their pressing need at the moment was. We will issue an RFP to all the nonprofits in New Hampshire, and we'll accept proposals in the areas of financial stability, public health, and education. And there have been some changes over the years in how that funding is applied for. And in most recent this past year, there's been some exciting changes in terms of trying to provide some funding to grassroots organizations, calling them equity grants. And I think that's a very, very exciting change, opening up the availability of dollars to to new organizations that maybe would not have applied in the past. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. One of the things I love about United Way is even though we've been around for 100 years, we never take service for granted. And we knew after taking a bit of a look at ourselves and historically, who were we funding in the community? And we saw that we were funding organizations that looked a lot like us. Uh, they were organizations that had been around a long time, had very clear missions, in many cases had a lot of capacity to write proposals and successful proposals. And what we discovered was we were not really funding organizations at the grassroots level, um, new American organizations, BIPOC-led organizations that might not be as sophisticated or have the development departments. They, they were spending all their time actually doing the work. And we went out and, as you said, Charlotte, we made an RFP available specifically to these more grassroots organizations and had a tremendous response and were able to fund just over a quarter of a million dollars to 21 of these partners. And now we're in a process of really learning from each other. The way that these organizations help in their communities is very different than what we historically have seen from some of our partners. And it is very grassroots and it's very person to person type of work. And that's something we want to get to know a little bit more about. Um, furthermore, a lot of these informal organizations really missed out on opportunities to get large public funding over the last couple of years and in the pandemic. They just weren't formalized enough to take advantage of some things that larger nonprofits were able to do. And in many cases, that was a threat to their existence if they couldn't gain access to revenue and support. Well, it's exciting that, that you know, relatively small or modest amounts of money, five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars can just make such an incredible difference to these very small organizations. 
It really does. So what types of organizations ha- have applied for and gotten these grants? And are they all over the state? They're, they're all over the state. We've seen organizations that are really focused or primarily serving immigrant and refugee populations, new Americans, English as second language. From to pride organizations that are student led and community led to veterans organizations. I mean, these really are the, the definition of grassroots and serving communities that honestly are a little bit underserved in how we look at our community at large. Uh, they don't often have the voice at the table in order to get the resources that they need to help their constituencies. And a lot of these organizations are, are really helping a lot of people. It's the small but mighty when you look at what some of these groups are doing. Now, now some of this is sort of the more traditional way that people look at the United Way and, and what it does in the community. But it, it really does so much more in that there are some direct service programs that United Way is involved in, like 211. I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think a lot of people are familiar with the concept of 211, but don't realize that it, it's really an arm of the United Way. Yeah, there's a lot of things we do that uh, people associate either with state government or municipal government, and, and that's okay with us. I call these public service programs, and they generally arose from a gap in service that we identified sometimes as long as 10 or 12 years ago. With 211 as an example, we realized that most people weren't accustomed to accessing health and human service programs when they needed them. Most people don't access health and human service programs all the time. And if they found themselves in a, a situation, they really didn't even know where to start. So when we started 211, we really started it from a point of view. It was like, where do you call when you need help? And it started as a pretty humble program. We got a lot of support from Eversource, who's been our partner on this for years. And this program grew from taking a couple thousand phone calls a year to a high watermark of taking 450,000 phone calls during the pandemic. Um, It really is a tremendous community asset for the state of New Hampshire because that phone gets answered by a live person and people can call for any sort of issue. They can call if they're seeking shelter. They can call if they're having problems with a substance use disorder. They can call if they need financial assistance, meals on wheels. I mean, it's it really has become a, a tremendous success and, and a big deal here in New Hampshire. And United Way filled a huge gap when the pandemic came to be. Because, I mean, as you say, the high water, high water mark, I mean, that's almost an understatement in terms of how, how much United Way had to step in and, and, and assist through that process. It really did. It's, it's kind of like the great movie. If you build it, they will come. We had 211 operational during the pandemic. We got a call from the governor's office who said, can we lean into 211 and use it to facilitate phone calls for people who need to know where to get a COVID test? Or when we got vaccinations, call to set an appointment to get a vaccination. And we went from taking a thousand calls a week to taking 15 to 20,000 calls a week as we were dealing with the, the ravages of the pandemic. And not only that, we, we managed a couple of super vaccination sites at the New Hampshire Motor Speedway that vaccinated 20 to 30,000 people in one weekend. That was a United Way project through our volunteers and our public health arm. And we do these things just because they need to be done. 
And lots of times people don't even know it's us that are doing it. Well, in, in, in this past, the answer that you just gave, you mentioned, I think, two very important pieces of this in that you talked about the governor calling and then the partnership with Eversource, which is a large business in the community that employs a ton of people. I mean, talk about those types of partnerships and, and what that means to the community and how United Way got to be the, the, the phone call that the governor might make in this situation. Yeah, I, I think it's built on trust and it's built on 100 years of delivering. We delivered at the local level for decades. Then we delivered at the regional level. Now we're delivering at the statewide level. We are that unique organization that has deep relationships with the business community, with the nonprofit community, with our elected officials. And when you think about big businesses and you think about elected officials, especially at the state level, I mean, they're responsible for the health and well-being of everyone. And that's kind of how United Way looks at things. We're not a one-cause-specific organization. I mean, we're able to pivot and be of service to whatever the biggest crisis is at that time. And we're incredibly nimble, and we're able to do some really neat things with little or no notice. And that gets those phone calls. I mean, we get phone calls from governors, former governors, business leaders, state senators who call us because they know that we can mobilize and get things done. Well, well, not only did you go statewide, but you also went international recently. So tell us about that very exciting partnership and, and how the vet came to be. And yeah, it, why United Way? Why did you say that? It was one of those phone calls, Charlotte. Um, we had built a relationship built on trust and working together with former Governor Lynch and with a, a tremendous business leader and philanthropist here in New Hampshire named Alex Ray. And they were really upset and concerned with what they saw going on in Europe when Russia invaded the Ukraine. It disturbed them to see the aggression coming out of Russia, and they just felt that this was an opportunity for the people of New Hampshire to help the people of Ukraine. And they called us and said, United Way, you've been raising and distributing money in New Hampshire for 100 years. Would you partner with the Common Man Restaurants and former Governor Lynch to do an appeal to raise a couple hundred thousand dollars to help the children and the people of Ukraine? We built a campaign. We built a marketing platform. And that couple hundred thousand dollars turned into $2.2 million that we were able to raise in less than three months and distribute to locations in Poland and in the Ukraine all within a three or four month period. So the donations came from New Hampshire, and we got them internationally invested in programs serving children, programs serving displaced women and their parents, programs serving people with battle injuries, people who were homeless. It really was amazing. And one of the true, truly impactful things I've done in my career was actually to go to Poland and the Ukraine and see those dollars in action. And it really was a testament to the generosity of the people of New Hampshire. There were no other states in the union that participated per capita the way New Hampshire did. And there was actually a really great feature in the USA Today a couple of weeks ago about how our little state of New Hampshire really did things that nobody thought we could do in helping the people in Ukraine. 
that that's amazing. It's a it's a nonprofit, public, private business partnership that that has an impact halfway across the world. So what what would you say have been some of the, the biggest changes and then some of the biggest challenges that, that you've seen in your role as a CEO? And how is that going to impact the, the future of the United Way and of philanthropy in the state? I, I speak about this a lot to our board and to, to our business leaders. I think technology has changed uh, philanthropy a lot. And United Way played a role providing a service to the business community for many years. I mean, we came in and we were the app before apps were invented. We came in and we would provide an opportunity for every employee at a company to make a a gift at their comfort level to a charity or charities of their choice. And we did that long before technology came around. And we did it by putting our boots on the ground and walking in and talking to people and having a, a, a relationship. And that's really changed. Technology has now made it very possible for people to give online, people to text to give, uh, companies to move to really efficient platforms that give their employees the opportunity to click a button and give wherever they want to give. So that's challenged us a little bit in terms of how do we keep that United Way message out there that we are different. We look at the whole community not just one issue within the community. We're able to mobilize resources and build solutions in a way that other nonprofits don't. Most nonprofits will look at an issue and they'll address that issue. And if they receive financial support, they'll build the internal capacity to address it. Uh, We're one of the few organizations that still gives away 90 to 95% of everything that comes in the door uh, to other organizations. So we, we've had to work with that a little bit. It means that we have to really hone in on our message and be able to communicate why United Way without openly competing with other nonprofits who also need financial support. So we spend a lot of time making sure that if somebody else is doing a good job on an issue, maybe we don't need to focus on that one. Maybe we can focus on something else. Another thing we're dealing with is that there has been a, a tremendous changeover in workplaces in terms of who makes up the workforce. A lot of people are retiring and leaving the workforce who grew up with the United Way. They really understand what we do. They understand the importance of it. The United Way is part of the fabric of their interpretation of community. And a lot of people coming into the workplace didn't grow up that way. They grew up on computers. They grew up in a much more fast-paced sort of world. They think of philanthropy a little bit different. They're a little more likely to give to multiple causes, through text to give, or multiple causes based on something they might see on social media. So we're working really hard with younger and newer employees to help educate them as to why we're critically important to that fabric in the community, because we are the only ones who do what we do. And that that can be tough to have that conversation because people are under a lot of a lot of pressure with lots of opportunities to give and lots of choices and their own financial challenges that they might be facing with inflation, childcare costs, student loans. So it's it's a lot. Yeah, and I like you started out with my dollar a week contribution, mm-hmm. and it was a lot easier to do that than to write a check for fifty dollars when. 
I needed to pay my rent and yep. I didn't, I didn't feel it when it was missing. And then of course, as we became more successful, we were able to, to pay a little more. And you're right that that was definitely something that was the fabric of the business community. And when you came into work as for me as a new lawyer and people who worked in banks and manufacturing companies would, would hear that message from their CEOs. And now maybe some of that leadership is not even in New Hampshire anymore. It does have that, that affinity to the state. So there have been challenges and changes and you're working to so build new relationships that it sounds like United Way has been very effective in doing. We have. We, we have our challenges. New Hampshire is not a headquarter state for the most part. A lot of headquarter decisions are made in other parts of the country and trickle down to what we're doing here. So that makes it hard. The majority of our regional or national corporate partners that do business in New Hampshire, I'm really proud to say that their markets when it comes to philanthropy and volunteerism through United Way, outperform every other market. So we have built a tremendous history here of giving and volunteering and being involved with the community. That continues, even with changes in different ways of looking at philanthropy. The other thing I'll say, Charlotte, which is probably different from what you and I experienced in our work lives, is philanthropy and volunteerism and engagement is much more of an individual thing now than a company thing. I think when I was part of all the various companies that I've been part of, what the company cared about in the community and what the company values were, were the things that I really wanted to understand and be aligned with. In today's workforce, it's much more of a workforce of individual wants and needs and, and what people want to contribute and give to. Then we have to react to that and, and be prepared that we might stand in front of a hundred people and talk about United Way and we'll have a hundred different ways that people think they want to help. And, and that's a little different than 10 or 20 years ago. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to ask you about that, about how people can get involved and help, but maybe you'll indulge me for a second. Well, I have a proud mother moment. I was texting with my daughter yesterday who um, lives in Washington, D.C. And she said, oh, I have to go. I'm at the food bank with my with my work colleagues and we're volunteering today. And I went, well, isn't that wonderful that that's still yep. still sort of a work thing where we go as a group and we do some type of search service project. And that's certainly available through the United Way either for, for groups of friends or um, social groups, work groups, individuals. Um, can talk a little bit about how people can get involved. Um, yeah, I'll tell you, I've done, I, I've done about 60 CEO and corporate calls in the last three months. And the number one area of interest right now from our corporate partners is volunteerism. And that's been happening for a couple of reasons. One, post-pandemic, people do want to volunteer and get back out in their communities. But two, a lot of workplaces look a lot differently than they did before the pandemic. So a lot of workers in the corporations that we support, they're not working in teams and seeing each other and team building and getting to know each other the way they did four or five years ago. And a lot of corporate leaders and a lot of individual employees are saying, I want the opportunity to spend time with my teammates. I want to go out and tackle a project and be a team and, and build a relationship. So we are really doubling down on volunteerism here at United Way. The board set a very aggressive goal to engage 10,000 volunteers 
by 2026. That's about three times more than we've ever engaged in a year. People who are interested can go to our website, graniteunitedway.org, and there's a volunteer button right there. And we're really working to flush out real-time volunteer opportunities all over the state 360 days a year, not just traditionally during our days of caring or weeks of caring or around the holidays where people traditionally volunteer. We are hearing that this is very much in focus with our corporate partners. And many of those corporate partners are providing pay, pay time off for their employees to go and do these sort of things. And it's incredible because it, it's a wonderful way to drive employee engagement. Mm -hmm. uh, as you said, team building. There are lots of different ways that you can do team building, but it, it, it's also providing service to the community, especially for these younger generations, the millennials and Gen Z. They, they want to actually get out there and roll up their sleeves and, and do some work and volunteer and see the results of their volunteerism in their communities. So from a human resources perspective, a great way to drive employee engagement retention and employee satisfaction, especially if they're being offered paid time to do that. Yeah. And that almost all of our corporate partners are moving in that direction, providing some sort of paid time off to go out and make a difference in the community. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation, Patrick. I really appreciate your, your having come to speak with me this afternoon and good luck with, with all you have to do. Wow. We're off to a great start this year. I have high hopes that we'll have another great year. So, Charlotte, thanks so much for, for allowing me to spend some time with you. Fantastic. Thanks. Thank you for joining me today for Workplace Community Connections. If you are interested in subscribing to our podcast or learning more about Charlotte Stevens Consulting, please go to our website or email me directly at charlotte at com. Thank you for joining me again and have a wonderful day.